Hello and welcome to Repertory Screenings, episode 31. I'm your host, Em, and with me are my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello, movies. And Destiny. Hooray! And we are joined by a guest today. A guest, introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Mary. Uh, you joined us today to uh, bring a classic of modern cinema to us. But first, let's talk about what everybody's been watching. Um, guest, do you have any extra movies to talk about today? Uh, just this morning, I watched Throne of Blood. Oh, yeah. sweet. An old Kurosawa film. Um, because I'm doing uh, something involving Macbeth, so I figured I might as well watch one of the best renditions of Macbeth. Yeah, it's really good. Yes, it is. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I I can't even remember if I'd seen it before, because I know I went through a phase like 10 years ago of watching a lot of Kurosawa stuff, but my memory's not great. <laughs> mm, fair enough. Yeah, no, that movie, uh, that movie rips. It's very good. Um, Jackson, have you watched anything? I have not, no. Not this week. It's only been a week. Okay. It has only been a week. Uh, Destiny, I want to take the movie we watched last night if you would like to take one of the other movies. Sure. All right, go ahead. Um, Did we already talk about La Irona? No, we did not. Well, I watched that, which was... Uh, it was on Shudder, and it was very good. Do you want to talk a bit about what it was? Uh, sure. It's about this... Um, Guatemalan general who's a war criminal and instead of taking the La Arona myth and making it into something where she drowned her own children and she's haunting everyone instead she's sort of the embodiment of the indigenous people that he screwed over and she's haunting him specifically for his crimes and it's awesome yeah, it's really good. Uh, if you have Shudder, do recommend it. Um, then last night, uh, me and Destiny watched a Fade to Black, which is a 1980 uh, horror movie uh, comedy. I don't know. Uh, about a guy uh, who's just kind of like a loner nerd who's really into movies. He works at like a film distribution warehouse so he gets to take reels home uh and watch them at home um and is obsessed with movies and uh begins to crack because his life is shit and in doing so starts killing people to the tune of famous film scenes um as some very ridiculous 70s cops try to capture him um and it's really good. It reminded me a lot of like Cable Guy or a King of Comedy, kind of somewhere in the middle of those. Uh, it's it's really good if you like your uh, dark comedy horror. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Uh, I guess that's it. Uh, we should get into our main movie. Uh, this week, we are here to watch Bound, uh, which is the 1996 film uh, written and directed by the Wachowski sisters. It stars Jennifer Tilly, Gina Gershon, uh, Joe Pantoliano, and is a ridiculous uh, crime caper. Jackson, would you like to briefly summarize this film? Um, sure. Uh, the movie is about, uh, well... The movie just begins with uh, Corky, uh, who is uh, a lesbian, uh, who like does f f like renovation job. She's doing a renovation job on someone's uh, rich person's flat, and uh, is staying for a couple days next door to Violet, who is the uh, 
wife partner i actually don't know this like the official situation but partner of a, a middle manager mob guy basically uh called caesar and uh, uh they uh hook up basically immediately and uh violet brings corky on the scheme and tries to uh get out um of this the the mob life which involves framing caesar for like stealing his money um someone else stole a bunch of money from the mob like skimmed it off the top the money's in a case and they're gonna take it and they have to take it and get away and have nobody else know they got it and that's that's the goal and the like movie plays out as basically an extended bit on this you know one um uh very simple goal as everything that can go wrong possibly goes wrong um like any good one of these movies uh and it's a very ludicrous time um as like <laughs> caesar doesn't like like the they set him up so he loses the money and the, he, like if he runs then we've got the money then we can run uh but caesar doesn't run he actually kills the mob boss and then everything's gone to shit uh and the movie's just wild for a while uh until it all comes to a head they find out he finds out what's happening and they have to like confront him directly <laughs> caesar gives uh violet the like you're not gonna kill me you're, you don't really have it in you and she's like uh <laughs> check this and shoots him in the hell in the like chest like five times and uh, they they drive off into the night uh successful criminals and thieves uh free uh free as a bird it's great yeah uh Miri, would you like to briefly say why you picked this movie? Um, it was a movie that I hadn't seen in quite a while, and I remembered it being uh, very fun. And I thought there would be a lot to talk about with regards to it. And after having seen it again recently, it's actually a much more simple, like, just fun time movie than I remembered, but... I'm sure we'll figure out stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah. I also had not seen this movie in 10 years, and I suspect maybe I didn't see the second half of it because I didn't remember what happened after he shot the mob boss. <laughs> Literally no <laughs> idea of what was left in the rest of the movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, this is a very fun time. Uh, I think everyone here has seen this before. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think everyone liked it, and everyone... I assume enjoyed it on revisiting. So yeah, bounds a classic. Yeah, um, as much as I might like uh, Matrix Reloaded or Jupiter Ascending, I really wish the Kaus- or Speed Racer. I guess I wish the Kowskis had just continued to make small genre movies like this and not gone and made hundred million dollar monsters. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I think you can see a lot of the inspiration, like a lot of this movie's style, like in especially the matrix but obviously adapted to a much different type of movie a different genre and a much higher budget so yes it ends up making it's like there's there's some like ridiculous very matrix-esque slow motion type shots that are like playing with the same kind of ideas um but they end up feeling way more playful in this like uh you know noir movie uh where it's also riffing on like you know uh post goodfellas this 90s mafia movie wave as everyone's just like a ludicrous mafia cartoon saying capiche at each other and then suddenly there's like a big slow motion slot as as the money is revealed <laughs> and uh you know the this is doing their like thing where they're being weird with the cameras and uh 
And there's, there, there are multiple shots in this movie that I know for a fact aren't CG, but are constructed so much like CG shots that they feel CG. Yes. Um, which I find incredibly interesting. Uh, I mean, that's been, that was true of The Matrix yes. 1 also. Like, there's there's no CG environments. Like, that didn't exist in that movie. Like, even Bullet Time is a practical effect, more or less. But, um, which just makes these, like, you know... It may, I like Jupiter Shining a lot, but it's not as visually interesting because the wild stuff is just CG. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting the way this is situated in, like, in between, like, early Coen Brothers yes. and, like, Tarantino films. Absolutely. With your, your very, like you know small scale noir like they're, they're this is about two million dollars that's not a lot of money even in 1996 <laughs> in terms of like are you going to be on the on the run the rest of your life for two million dollars it seems like a bad plan uh yeah because this is like the money that one low-level guy skimmed for a few months <laughs> yeah like caesar should have two million dollars on hand yeah <laughs> i was like why doesn't he just replace the money <laughs> he's a mob he's like a mob accountant how does he not have two million dollars uh, he has like a whole uh, like hour or so to get it. <laughs> um, I assume he's just like spending it as fast as he's making it, right? Like he lives in this nice like a penthouse and has like a you know Violet's like a nice like a you know uh, girlfriend with, like a lot of expensive taste seems like mm-hmm. uh, inexplicable leather dresses everywhere. <laughs> yes. The amount that this movie is like women in leather, men in nice suits is very funny to me, given the Matrix is right after this and everyone gets the goofy leather outfits at that point. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> Corky and uh, Violet are just wearing Matrix outfits for a lot of this movie. Yes. Well, this was kind of made to show what the Wachowskis were capable of, right? They were trying to impress a producer. Yeah, because they script wrote a movie called Assassins, which I have not seen, and wanted to make move into directing. Mm-hmm. And so this was, yeah, this was like their, you know, give us a, give us six million dollars, we can make you a movie, and then uh, give us more next time. <laughs> My understanding was that when they were approaching producers for that, um, they got a lot of people saying that they would produce it if the main couple. Uh, that being quirky and violet were uh heterosexual but they refused to touch it because it was not which tracks for the 90s but still yeah and it's also like this movie would not be remembered at all no (laughs) not for the part where it's like you know uh landmark lesbian cinema right um Mm -hmm. this is so true Reading the reading the descriptions of like uh, critical reception, there was a lot of like, is this actually queer cinema if their queerness is not an inherent part of the plot or important to what's going on? Which is a very '90s way of thinking about these things. Not that they wouldn't do that now, but seeing like, you know, cishet men ass movie reviewers hand wringing about this is very funny to look through. Yeah, especially as like the specific language of the hand ringing has changed so much, even if the like effects <laughs> of it have changed not even slightly. Yes. Well, the thing that's interesting is like the implication that like these two, you know, both being lesbians or Violet, I guess, being bisexual, it, it is it is not clarified, doesn't matter. Um, is not inherent to the plot is so silly to me because like Violet's position specifically is about being stuck in this position that is like she is living a lie and desperately wants out and is willing to, you know, shoot people to get her way out. Um 
And that uh, works really well as like a queer narrative. It's very strange that that stuff is, I mean, it's not strange. I know why, but uh, it's interesting to see that stuff not picked up on when talking about like, is this queer cinema? Uh, I'm like half, like half of traditional queer cinema is characters blowing up their lives to try to escape the hell of, you know, compet. <laughs> Also, they have to trust each other. So the fact that they're like super duper in lust with each other is like totally inherent to the plot. Yeah. In my opinion. Also, like for a character like uh, Corky, like being like, you know, uh, being in lust with someone seems to preclude trusting them in a lot of ways. Uh, she seems more suspicious once she, like her and uh, Violet are hooking up than she would have before, probably. True. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I don't, I, it's, that is such a weird criticism to throw around, which I, but I get, I get why, you know, because <laughs> I was also looking at reviews and people being like, oh, I, I don't know about this. It's, and it's also just the violence is so much, which is very funny because like, I know what else was, I know the movies it's around in the nineties, right? Like, I don't know why the violence hand ringing in those, uh, in movie reviews at that point was so much, but, um, it's very funny now. Earlier this week, um, I started to look up reviews, and then I, the only review I ended up watching was the uh, Ebert and Roper one. Or was it? Would have been was, Cisco at that point, wouldn't it? Yeah, probably. Cisco oh yeah, Cisco and Ebert. And Ebert. Yeah, sorry. Um, and yeah, it was it was very funny because I watched that review, and they both liked it a lot, and just said it was like a very fun time. And I was like, well, I guess I don't have to watch any more reviews. Like the the most famous reviewers loved it that's good enough yeah <laughs> uh it's the part where people are you know like weird about the violence is like reservoir talks is four years ago right at this point. that's why like, i thought it was funny <laughs> yeah like the, all the wave of tarantino likes has, has hit it's already been and, like there, kind yeah. of blown through in a lot of ways right yeah like this is 96 so yeah it is it's weird just, it's yeah. funny, there's a lot of like a lot of things about this movie that can be compared to Reservoir Dogs. Like um a lot of it takes place in the same uh the same single setting. Uh it's on a very low budget. It's the directorial debut of a director's directors who ended up being very popular afterward. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a way better movie than Reservoir Dogs. Oh yeah, I it is a better, better movie. movie. <laughs> Not even of a discussion. I, I... I feel like it's like writing ambitions are like less intense, which just allows it to like be normal, which is good. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, if Bound had like a weird broken timeline, you know, bullshit other than like the, you know, cold open that comes back around, it would be a much worse movie. And really, it mostly is just a normal film. And really, the cold open stuff is just an excuse to have them like stay, say the ludicrous lines in like completely out of context. <laughs> So the thing that I didn't remember about this movie at all, uh, and rewatching it, is the dialogue in this film is <laughs> bonkers. <laughs> this movie is a com- I don't remember this movie being like a basically straight comedy the first time I watched it. Uh, Me neither. But now I'm like, oh, this is just a like the opening shot of the light. <laughs> like, you know. Um, oh, where it looks like a Newton's cradle and then yeah. like pans down and it turns out that it's uh, like the inside of a closet. It's weird. I'm like, what the- but then also like the dialogue is so like overwrought, uh, like uh, Violet especially is like just a pastiche of like femme fatale characters uh, coming on to Corky. And even uh, Corky's reactions are like, 
check this lady out. Like, what the fuck's wrong with her? This is really strong. No one comes on to someone like this. Yeah, there's a lot of good, incredulous faces from Gina Gershon happening when she's first being seduced by Violet. Mm-hmm. She's- it still ends up being fun, but yeah, both like both characters really are pretty like just throw it all throw it all together. Like they like every lesbian stereotype you could have had in the nineties is true of Corky, and every femme fatale stereotype is true of Violet. Yes, but also like it, it's it's not unaware of those things because even Violet's like yeah, you know you're you're good with your hands. I bet you drive a truck this twenty years old, and she's like and she's like uh, sixty uh, two what a Chevy, which is thirty years old. It's even more like decrepit than what Violet thought. Um, <laughs> like it's definitely aware of like you know archetypes in this in the scene and trying to like underscore them by making them more heightened um and it works really well i love that stuff yeah um which which makes the bit where uh corky goes to the or he goes to the lesbian bar and it's just like normal 90s lesbians very funny (laughs) yes because they're actual 90s lesbians which is great oh yeah that's what i was gonna say is um the person that they got to consult on the uh, sex scenes, she just brought in some of her friends for that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it makes Bright. It, yeah, it makes it really uh, fun just because uh, Corky walks into that place like she's like James Dean or whatever, and it's just radically different. In like, just like you know, a nice butch lady with like a normal '90s haircut sitting drinking a wine. <laughs> like it's very, <laughs> it's very different. Like the the incongruity is like really funny when these movie ass movie characters walk into something that feels more real. Yes. Because uh, yeah, the, like the characters in this movie are ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. The whole scene where um, you know Violet is uh, actually seducing uh, Corky, and her main play is to like seductively talk about her shittiest tattoo ever made (laughs) (laughs) the tattoos in this movie being like fake ass hollywood tattoos but like even more so because they are important to the plot um very funny they're just like the nicest neatest like just got this two weeks ago tattoos (laughs) she worked on it all day and it's like a little bit i was like what are you talking about no she didn't oh Oh, it's so funny. Yeah, speaking of the lust, like, okay, so they got a choreographer for the sex scenes in this movie, and I didn't remember them being, like, as good as they actually are. (laughs) Yeah, it's that one big, like, unbroken, like, 360 shot. And it's really Yeah. In one interview, um, they said that there was a specific take of that scene that they wanted to use, but that the... Uh, the producer said that it was too, um, too dirty, I guess, or whatever whatever wording they used. Mm-hmm. So they ha- ended up having to use another take that they didn't like as much. Except the actresses thought that that other take was like much more like excessive. But mm-hmm. I guess you couldn't see specifically the hand in the second take, like you know the hand that was. So that was like the deciding factor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Also, like for such a uh, otherwise like simple scene, like uh, the whole thing is like a flyaway set. So there's people desperately pulling away the walls as the camera's moving around them because uh, it, you know, you have to fit a whole like dolly rig in there. So the idea of like all this technology being used to like pull away parts of the set as they're filming it, very funny. 
while they're trying to like you know have an intimate moment <laughs> yes um the other thing uh like uh quirky and violet are like extreme cartoon characters but uh joey pants as caesar just an outrageous man just incredible uh, like he is even more cartoony but ends up like being a nice like foil for them because he is like you know hiding his like real self in kind of the same like same ways but in like the shitty movie way and not in like the you know th this is the corridor characters we are you know characters are gonna run away with each other ways he's just this like pencil pusher who thinks he's tough and is more tough than everyone assumes he is but not enough to get anything done <laughs> only enough to make things way worse Oh, at every turn. Yes. Uh, one of the things I said uh, uh, while watching it is that obviously uh, Fiasco, the tabletop game, is based on Coen Brothers movies. And the relationship to Coen Brothers movies that this uh, movie has feels like instead of being, you know, feels like it is based on an individual like Fiasco game being run rather than like the, the genre <laughs> itself. Uh, yes. Because of how just absolutely off the rails things get at every moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. Caesar uh, rolls a dice and fucking shoots everyone in that room. <laughs> it's like, oh shit! Yeah. Uh, Violet, assuming that he's gonna run and like building everything up around it, and then just misjudging who he is as a person. Yes, um, is really good because then suddenly he grows a spine and decides, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, galaxy brain this. I'm gonna get Johnny, who, you know, Violet set up to make it think he stole the money, and it is just baby Christopher Maloney being ridiculous, like. <laughs> <laughs> that him playing like the like young unhinged like mafia tough who's like the son of a the guy who's actually important is very goofy given that Chris Maloney in a modern movie would just be playing the the guy in charge of the mob. Yes. <laughs> um but uh like him setting him up and then shooting everyone in the room in like a, like a fit of fear but also like no we're gonna commit to this is really funny it just makes everything so terrible for everyone when they go to johnny's house and you realize he's got like the big gate that says j on it <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> incredible but then also like it cuts to uh them having a conversation in the house you look around the house is like totally trashed you're like wow what happened here oh wait no they've been here for like three hours and he's just been tearing everything apart yep. And Violet's just calmly sitting there trying not to freak out about how bad this has gone. Jennifer like, Tilly is so good in this. Yes. Sorry. Oh, no, that's no problem. I wasn't saying anything super revelatory, but I just love how much, like, this movie is, like, build up, build up, build up, and then just at least an hour straight of just everything falling apart repeatedly in, like, multiple steps. Mm hmm It's just, it like... At, it doesn't like let up for, for like the entire time. No. Yes. Uh, shout out to the cops who show up, who uh, are just happy to be there and like steal, see, <laughs> see and steal this entire segment. Thank you. Um, that seems incredible. They're very it, good. It's pointless. Like you can cut that. Nothing would change. Um, I mean, the, the gimmick of him, like, uh, like the escalating of gags of like, oh, gotta hide the body, stuff him in the bathtub. All oh, the cop needs to use the restroom. Oh shit, is he gonna notice right. that the, the bathtub is full of bodies? No, he does not. Um, the other cop, like, stepping in the the blood soaked rug and his foot like squishing, but not noticing it. Um, how did he not notice he was leaving bloody, bloody boot prints <laughs> as he was leaving? Right, <laughs> so funny, like. It doesn't connect to the mob plot, like you like say. You wouldn't the movie wouldn't change without it, and also 
it does um what were you saying i was just gonna say it does tie slightly into the next scene when the next group of mobsters come over because then they're like why did you move all the furniture and then <laughs> they end up saying oh did uh did violet do it but he had a way better yeah, excuse because... for that he could have prepared he could have should have said that it was to help he had to hang up all the money to dry um, yes <laughs> i was like Oh, yeah, we didn't even discuss that scene yet. The the, the scene where he literally <laughs> launders the money. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, you were saying something else about the cops, Jackson? I just I thought that it was just like a, a very indulgent scene in a good way. Like it was just purely to have the exercise of the like the cops are there because you know you enjoy this ludicrous scene where the cops show up and you, they know the audience knows that there's not even like a shred of you know no one's believing that the cops are going to find anything like yes um, so they could just have fun with this like guy because the guy's like we're real cops and then the black guy looks in and is like hey what's up I'm, I'm crashing this movie in a way that it rules because his energy is infectious and real um, both the cops are like ludicrous movie cops in the face of everyone else being like ludicrous mob people but like diff from a different movie yeah they're just like a bumbling like you know coming in uh acting like they could get anything done and then uh being shuffled out uh the thing i like is caesar because they you know they hear the gunshot someone calls the cops so they turn up the television to make it sound like that and caesar decides to sell it by pretending he has a hearing aid that went out so he spends his entire sequence yelling loudly and then the cops are yelling at him back because they think he can't hear <laughs> <laughs> The bit where they like hear the television and then they look at each other and they're like, ah, oh, damn, look at those dumbasses. We know exactly what's happened here. Not that <laughs> yes. having like, not that like the call was twenty minutes ago. So having a very suspicious movie playing loudly is actually like the most suspicious thing you can do. Uh, yes, that's great. Hmm. Uh, one of my favorite touches in that scene is right before Violet opens the door, the chain is off the door, so she puts the chain on the door to open the door, so she's looking through the chain at the cops. <laughs> yes. Surprised that they're there, which is a really, just like a little like character touch that I think is just incredible. Yeah. Um, what are the other, other bits we need to hit? Because uh, it's just a, just a fucking good time. Uh, when Gino shows up, because uh, they describe him as a guy, they're like, we don't know how much English he speaks. He always, you know, is, is speaking Italian when he shows up, uh, and it's real brief the meetings or whatever. When Violet's explaining what Gino's like to Corky, and this guy shows up, and he's just like a cartoon Italian. <laughs> Capiche? <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a I think it's semi regional pizza chain called Godfather's Pizza around here, and the, the commercials are a uh, are a ridiculous like the Godfather guy, yep. and it's. Th- this guy just looks like that. <laughs> just, just like, forget about it. Capiche, capiche. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and mumbles his way through, uh, like trying to like explain stuff. But in like, uh, this guy watched the Godfather like 800 times and thought it was sick as hell. Like he doesn't actually talk this way. This is not what this guy is about. Uh, he's a Chicago mobster. <laughs> Right. It's all about affectation. Yeah. <laughs> and he's doing the whole, like, you're not doing this with family right before he gets shot. <laughs> yes. Uh, but Caesar also has, like, an extremely, like, dodgy accent that gets, la- like, the more upset he is, the more his Chicago accent shows up, which yes. is very funny. Because he also wants to be like a cool Italian and d- just can't sell it at all. That's not who that guy is. No, no. 
Uh, but yeah, the laundering money. So the guy who's skimming the money off the top is named Shelly, and they they get him and they beat the f- fuck out of him, and uh, in like the actual violence scene of this movie, and they make him show them where the money is, and we find out later as Caesar comes in with a grocery bag full of money covered in red. Um, <laughs> it's not even like it doesn't read as blood. It just looks like someone poured red paint on a pile of fake money. Um, it's very cartoonish, but uh, yeah, Johnny shot him in the head as he gathered all the money up like a real dumbass. And uh, maybe you've seen Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Got to clean up all this blood. Uh, and he has to literally launder, like put the money through soapy water and then hang it out to dry and then he irons it all overnight and it's outrageous <laughs> like all the money hung up it reminds me i assume this might be an illusion i don't know it reminds me of all of the like butterflies in um branded to kill branded to kill branded to kill uh, like in that room that that lady has mm-hmm. when corky's just sitting there or violet's just sitting in the room and just strings of money all around her uh it's a great shot <laughs> yeah it's a it's an excellent shot. Um, as they're just like staying up all night, <laughs> ironing the money. Mm-hmm. That specific scene is the one that I would use to like describe the greater ethos of this movie to someone. Where it's like, it just it, it takes the tropes of the thing and just pushes it as much as possible until the person is not only figuratively but literally laundering money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really good. I uh, I also like that because all this work is done for this money, and then uh, um, Corky just dumps it in some paint, like tied it. <laughs> yes, there's this extreme like uh, the the care people give to this. Uh, like Corky, Corky wants the money, but is not like hung up on it in the way that Caesar is, or even Violet is. Uh, no, um, like the <laughs> Caesar and and Violet to some extent, right? Even like Violet trying to get out of this are both like in the idea of uh this is what like the respect and the power of being a mob person carries yeah Um, corky mostly seems to enjoy the idea of like getting away with this and to like testing to see if violet is like legit or not about wanting to run away with her mm -hmm. like she has broader like emotional thrill of the steel reasons uh absolutely (laughs) But doesn't doesn't really end up doing much at like the back half of the movie. Um, yeah, she spends most of this dramatic sequence like listening from the other side of the wall, uh, <laughs> just like waiting for her turn until she does something just extremely stupid and lets the phone ring for more than three seconds. Yes, and like backs away, walking dramatically, and then suddenly realizes, "Oh fuck, the f- he's in the room next door. I can hear the phone." Uh, which is uh, very funny. And even then, it seems like she's not sure what to do right away. <laughs> yeah. Which is good, because the, the part where, like, this plan was very meticulous, but instantly fell apart is, like, the best part of these sorts of plans in these movies. Yes. Like, they had a great idea, uh, assuming that they were in, like, you know, control of the narrative, and they are not, and they don't actually know what they're doing. None, neither of them have done this before, so it instantly turns to shit. Um, the minute Caesar is actually involved with stuff. When, whenever a plan is explained in anything, I tend to, you know, assume that it will be, it will turn to shit because otherwise they wouldn't have explained what's supposed to happen. But the first time I saw this movie, I could have never imagined how, like, just the degrees to which. Yeah, it's so much. We mentioned the, um, the paint in the... That she 
hides the money in, and then that plays into the final scene where Violet hides, or where Violet shoots him after they they find the hidden money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just really want to make sure that I that we mention the specific framing of the scene where Violet shoots Caesar because it's like they had so much fun setting that up. Like he's standing on top of all the spilt out paint, and then. You see the bullet casings landing in the paint, and then his blood lands in the paint and mixes in with it, and it's just like, it's like my favorite shot in the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's super good. It's one of yeah. the most satisfying, just like, villain deaths. <laughs> this is true. Uh, the thing I like about it, it also, like, from a thematic stance is, like, this escalated because Violet didn't understand who Caesar was, like, didn't actually think that he was capable of flying off the handle like this. Um, but also this comes at the end, of, like, Caesar's like, you're not actually gonna pull the trigger. Like, you're not that person. She's like, the hell I'm not. Uh, but this is in contrast to Violet and Quirky, like, trying to feel each other out, uh, having this bit brief moment where they're, like, not getting along because they compare their life stories and you know like you're we're too different we can't actually get along you're like you know this rich femme and i'm this uh you know ex-con butch and we can't be together um and the way that resolves at the end where uh corky's like you know what the difference between two, uh, two of us is and uh Violet's like no i don't she's like uh, neither do i <laughs> uh it's a as they drive ending. off in the 1996 equivalent of the kill bill truck pretty much <laughs> it's basically exactly that and then the like final music cue is <laughs> the most actual yes. Tarantino thing about this movie. It's like, oh right, the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's great. More, more on the nose, ridiculous outro music cues. Please, like I feel like modern films have just abdicated that to Shane Black, and he's not good enough to be the person who owns that. No, so God. please stop it. Um. It's a it's a shame. Everyone, it's it's because all the fucking movie boys now who you know, I mean, they don't get to make anything. But the movie boys now want to be Christopher Nolan, not Tarantino. And I think that's a step down for bad movie boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's sad that that's true, but it's true. Like I know we don't we don't like the bad film boys, whatever. You know, it's fashionable to do that. But uh, I'd rather have them ripping off Tarantino than fucking Nolan. At least there's some style yeah. there. Yeah, for sure. Nolan has one good movie, but the problem is it's only part of a much larger bad movie. I like two and a half Nolan films. So I just like to joke about how good the Matt Damon part of Interstellar is. Yeah, it is good. It's incredible. <laughs> it's one of the it's one of the two and a half. <laughs> I think I like way more Christopher Nolan movies than that. I, I'm a little embarrassed. You're all right. You're fine. <laughs> You're also not a part of film where You have to watch people like worship his films for a decade. This is true. It has really like impugned my ability to feel joy about Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Also, the fact also that he said like he one of the have... movies I like, you know, it's like made with prison right. labor. So, you know, big asterisks on liking Christopher Nolan films. Consider, especially big, considering yeah. the reason I also like that movie. <laughs> it's yeah. like literally yeah. about the ways in which like, uh, you know, the war effort is a sham to force young men into, like, death for no reason. Uh, yep. And then made on prison labor. Great. Thanks. Ugh. Anyway, didn't mean for that, uh, for that digression. <laughs> I was trying very hard not to contribute to <laughs> steering off the rails no, of the Nolan discussion further. 
Um, it's okay. I have a lot to say about Nolan, but this is not the podcast for it. <laughs> um, I'm sure someday Jackson will watch Tenet, so... I, I still haven't downloaded a camera up or something. I, I read, like, a summary, and it sounded fucking terrible! You shared with me two paragraphs of summary, and I didn't understand what the fuck was happening, <laughs> so... But not in an alluring no. way, like, oh, what's this is gonna be interesting. No, in an exhausting way. We all <laughs> joked about Tenet being 9-11 so much, that when it was just a bad movie with nothing happening... <laughs> nothing, there's nothing there. Anyway! <laughs> um, bound. Good. Uh, I really liked... Um, What's his face? Mickey. The like he's the 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 good mobster, right? The one who can get shit done and isn't gonna either be like Johnny's weird flying up the handle or Caesar's weird like emasculated guy. Uh, just the normal yes. fixer uh, who's always the cool guy in these movies. Um, but I really appreciate yes. how they are treated him with like the way the ending goes down with him and he, despite being the reason one, is still like, hey, uh, <laughs> hey. Um, <laughs> Violet, you should come come be my boyfriend now. And she has to like be like, no, give him a kiss. I'm like, I have to get out. Whilst <laughs> he's just clearly blub- rubbing him blind and like uh does does he does he know? Does he know? Who can say? Um But I, I just appreciated the way that it's like none of the men in this movie are like the idea of oh it's the one good man in this situation doesn't you know, doesn't let him get away with that, which is good. Yeah. No, he's uh he's ridiculous. He reminds me of like a a different character actor who also does this role, but I can't think of the name of. Um, I was looking at his I was looking at his filmography. I'm like, no, he's not in anything like I really associate with like this kind Wait, of character. He, he also did that. I was like, oh, he's been in, he's he's done this bit before. I need to look who he is. And then I was like, no, he's not done anything else since then. What the hell am I thinking of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't resolved this, but I had this exact thought. Yes. But also, he's like the mobster Leo McGarity, like right, like that's just his whole role. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That's that's a pull for like four people. More than four people who listen to this podcast have listened, have watched The West Wing. I refuse to believe that that's not true. That's, no, it's not watching it. It's understanding enough to find that funny. Okay, but I'm not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Bound remake when it's West Wing characters. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cursed so fucking cursed but you do get to see Joe Slimer get shot in the chest so you know that's true oh you know what it might be worth it <laughs> um yeah good movie um I I, I think it, I find it disappointing how much uh I feel this movie gets kind of like not ignored right but not discussed as much when people talk about uh, Lukowski's online um when you know should I, it's better it's their best movie yes there's movies that i think i like more uh like i like speed racer a lot yes. uh, i like the matrix reloaded for like star wars prequel reasons <laughs> and then i think it's really interesting even if it's not always good um but this is like actually just a really good movie yes like but also it's weird in that like it's a little too tongue-in-cheek to fit into the like '90s, like postmodern crime movie stuff. It's not. It's not going hard enough in the aesthetics, and it's too aware of the fact that this genre is kind of stupid. Uh, <laughs> you know. Whether um, or not I think it's the best Wachowski movie or the best Wachowski work, it's definitely the only one that doesn't have an asterisk on it. Like I just enjoy this. Yeah. Front back. Yeah. Like, that is if I'm talking true. about like Jupiter Ascending or Sensei or the Matrix 
any of the Matrix movies. Like, there's things I like about all of them, and then there's also just that asterisk on there. Yeah, and it's the Good being point. a story about mostly three white people in a uh, in one room. They can't be massively racist. <laughs> so this is the advantage of uh, like closed room movies. God, it's true. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I, it's it's just interesting because like this isn't. I don't feel like this is in the the nineties like crime canon. Even as much as like Showgirls, which Gina Gershon did the year before this, right? Mm-hmm. Like that movie because it had that arc of being so derided and then like you know rehabbed by as a cult favorite uh, is more aware. Like the awareness is higher. I feel like, um, and like I like Showgirls, but Bound is better than Showgirls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't actually know too much about the like '90s crime cat. I mean, what if I what if, which one do I see? I mean, like I've seen the Tarantino ones. It's really I mean, Goodfellas good, is yeah, in there. Goodfellas. Casino is hanging around, being in Goodfellas shadow forever. Um, I mean, this goes all the way up into like really bad like aughts movies, like um, Boondock, Boondock Saints. Saints. And <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, that movie and Snatch and shit like oh, that. Oh, fucking Lockstock sucks so bad. I know this is like a controversial take, but I hate Lux Doc Deep Barrels. I mean, Guy Ritchie is someone who continues to make movies on the assumption that all of the movies that like Bound thinks are stupid are extremely cool. <laughs> but they both like the movies an equal amount. <laughs> yes. But there's a difference between like loving something and like poking fun at it and loving something too much mm-hmm. and like turning it into like a fetish object, and that's what Guy Ritchie's whole aesthetic is. Yep. Should really watch that King Arthur movie. People's made, people that's seem to like be it. Fucking terrible. If there's one thing I learned from Transformers Five, it is that it is the thing. It is most impossible for any director to fuck up. It is old tiny people doing Lord of the Rings dialogue. <laughs> because even if it's bad, it's funny. Yeah, it is the the perfect genre. Because if it's bad, you just have people like doing ridiculous lines. It's always funny. Uh, Hard to fuck up. Bring it back. You'd hope. Yeah. Uh, do we have anything else? I feel like um, we've gone pretty far afield here. So I mean, just keep talking about movies. <laughs> the movies are good. I'm trying to think if there's anything else in the movie we didn't touch on, but I think we basically got all of it. So. Yeah. Uh, great movie. People should watch it. It's not streaming anywhere, but you know how to get movies if you're listening to a number one mapping podcast. I almost assume that's true. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, it's a great film. I'm going to bring this up seeing as we went off into uh, tangents, but uh, yeah. Tenant has made no fucking money. This is good. This is great. This is real satisfying. Good. People should not go to the movies. I understand that there there are many countries in this in the world where you could go to the movies safely right now. Um, I'm glad it's also not making money there either. Domestically, it made nine million last weekend and six million this weekend. So, that's, what about worldwide? I don't know worldwide. Okay. I was laughing when New Mutants came out and it made like seven million in the opening weekend. And I was like, oh, only 293 million to go to dethrone Sonic the Hedgehog as the number one superhero movie of the year. God. <laughs> New Mutants would have been bad even like before COVID and probably would not have done very well. But it just coming out now, uh, <laughs> it gives them an excuse, but it's f- amazing to watch it just totally flounder. Yep. They put so many years into that movie. <laughs>
God. And they did because they didn't do a, a three three white people in a single room, and they still made it racist. So. Uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, Tenet has grossed $152 million worldwide, making it the sixth highest grossing movie of the year. Um, that's, I guess, fine worldwide. <laughs> the, the list compared to most years is so skewed. Number one at $424 million is Bad Boys for Life. <laughs> Weird. Not even no Marvel movies came out this year. Like Disney just shut down. Like they didn't get anything out before, yep. uh, before COVID hit. No, even and even like some of the um, other big. Oh, that's not true. Number seven onward made one hundred thirty-nine million dollars. That literally just got in the door because that was like on yes. in demand, like within days. Yes, it came out March sixth. <laughs> God, God, <laughs> movies this year. They're still gonna try to do the Oscars. Which is very funny. It's gonna be really funny. I wonder what Mulan made, even though it's not counted toward. And also, you shouldn't buy it because it's not a great movie. But I wonder if they're even gonna announce numbers. I guess if the numbers are really good, they'll announce numbers for that. They will not announce numbers. They will announce like subscribers or whatever. Well, no, because you have to pay for it on top of the subscription. Um, that's true. I guess maybe they'll just say how many people bought it, which. Yeah, I, I don't know. I if they do announce numbers, it'll it's be a, like a over something million. They won't give actual numbers. It's impressive that Milan costs more than what going to my local movie theater costs when it's a like an online yes streaming purchase. Um, they are releasing it in other in countries with open theaters. Like the, the thing is, obviously, is like you know being in North America, we have a very skewed perception of this because everything's going to be shut down for the next year and a half, probably. At oh, this at point. least. Um, there's like, like we have people in our discord who just are in countries with no cases anymore. They could just, everything's open. You can just go somewhere if as long as you're safe and wear a mask. Like shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds fake to me. Uh, but you know, uh, box office on Mulan is listed as 37 million, uh, <laughs> right now on Wikipedia. Which uh, is from a box office mojo thing on September 11th. Never forget. God. Well, someday, someday someone will make a good movie again. Not anytime soon. Yeah. But... Um, I mean, people will make good movies. They just won't put them in theaters. Yeah. Are you saying um, Bill and Ted 3 wasn't a good movie? Oh, I, haven't I haven't seen, seen it, it, obviously. I, I wanted to see I've it. actually heard it's pretty good, so I'm glad they managed that because the, the, the trailer did not sell me, but trailers rarely do. Yes, that's where I was as well. Yeah. Um, okay, I think that's everything. <laughs> um, we did not have any questions. If you'd like to send questions, I didn't really solicit them since this was going to be a guest episode, but if you would like to send questions, send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Um, next time, we are starting our Halloween slate uh, with Poltergeist, directed by Toby Hooper or Steven Spielberg, depending on who you believe. <laughs> yep. Um, we'll be watching probably like four or so horror movies. Going to, you know, be ones that are easily uh, watchable because Jackson's a horror baby. Uh, try to accommodate that uh, in the U.S. on uh, Poltergeist is just on Netflix. <laughs> Netflix has a movie you want to watch. Imagine. From, from like a few decades ago. The 80s, yeah. Yeah. the 1980s, and I'm assuming this is 80, right? 1980? Yes. 1982. 1982. Yes. Um, God, Netflix still has... Remember when Netflix had movies? Different world. It was so good. It was amazing. 
Uh, they also had they also had like a functional disc, uh, you know, back end where you could order discs and get them and they would be in good condition. It was wild. You could just watch whatever you wanted. Damn. What's that world like? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's our next movie. I'll announce the whole horror slate uh, probably next time. Uh, that'll be in two weeks. Yes? No. Will it be next week? I don't know what we're going to do. Jackson, do you want to do it next week or two weeks from that now? That'll be in two weeks. Okay. I didn't know how our schedule was working right we now. We did this extra one because it. the VoIP life hadn't lined up. We were on the... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> In two weeks. Um, and then I'll announce the full slate. Uh, if you want to hang out on our Discord, I will also put it there. Probably as soon as I get it written up. Wrote it up. Lost the list. Haven't made the new list yet. Um, so there is that. Uh, other than that, it is time for plugs. Mary, you're our guest. Would you like to be found online? Uh, yeah, I have a Twitter account at Memento Miri. Um, and then I have a YouTube channel where I'll be launching my first video very soon so if you follow me on twitter or if you're in the abnormal mapping discord you can look out for a video called the scottish walking sim okay that sounds interesting (laughs) uh i'm excited for that uh destiny um abnormalmapping.com slash badland girls for my podcast uh which is back after a five-year hiatus and then um at fridge buzz now pretty much everywhere yeah. Jackson. You can find me at Headfuls Off. You can find uh, the podcasts uh, that me and M do at abnormalmapping.com. There's a bunch of cool ones there. Go listen to them. Yeah. Uh, you can find me at EM underscore being on Twitter. Uh, if you'd like to support us, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash abnormalmapping. For $1 a month, you get the great Gundam project. We're watching Gundam Wing. We're almost done. We're watching Space Runaway Idion. We're also almost done with that. Uh, $10 gets you VoIP life for me and Jackson go through a bunch of bullshit every two weeks, often talking about movies. Last time we talked about Tron. Um, next time we're going to probably be calling a decade of Jackson's movie library <laughs> from their hard drive again. I'm really excited for that. It was a good time last Everyone time. Everyone loves the segment. Um, I love the segment. I'm so hyped for this. Um, but uh, check that out if you would like to support the network. It does keep us uh, fed and housed, and it's a uh, big help in hard times. Um, that's it. Until then, movies more than ever. <laughs> Don't expect to like them. <laughs>